Well, this year we're working through the gospel according to John in a series called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And today in John chapter 14, we're going to consider the gift of the Holy Spirit. When I was in first grade, I had the worst day of my short life up until that point. I got in trouble at school for something I did not do, falsely accused. I had to sit next to the teacher, Mrs. Mewson, who was very disappointed in me. What injustice, okay? She didn't believe me. A few other inconveniences happened that I don't remember, but it was more than one thing. Uh, so when I was telling my mom about this terrible, this was the worst day of my life, and when I said those words, I slammed the car door in frustration and I hit my other hand with the door. This is a self-inflicted wound, okay? So hard that, that one of the nails on my finger eventually turned black and fell off. It, I just devastated myself in that action. Now, I see now that that last one was on me, okay? That was me. That was my bad. But I felt so bad that day because I felt like the whole world was conspiring against my six-year-old self, and I didn't have anyone to help me. I didn't have anyone to be my advocate with Mrs. Musin, and she was one of the best teachers of my life, okay? Sweet woman. She wasn't to blame. Now, of course, as I got older, I understand that the stakes get higher. And if you have a bad day at the age of six, it's a pretty quick recovery time, even if you got a bad nail after that. You can have a snack and things start to feel <laughs> immensely better. <laughs> but if you have a bad day at the age of 16, it's gonna take a little bit more recovery time. It's gonna be worse. A bad day for me today in my 40s could require an entire vacation to recover from that bad day. <laughs> Something may, which may or may not be coming up anytime soon, right? Well, sometimes I feel like I may never recover. <laughs> okay, I, that's too dramatic. I wrote that and I felt it was too dramatic as I wrote it. <laughs> Have you ever felt that way? Have you, can you resonate with, what I'm, with my drama that I'm sharing? Some of you can. Well, in our passage today, Jesus promises an advocate. He promises a helper so that we would not have to stumble through this broken world alone. Even through the bad days, he can help us find his peace. This same advocate, who is the Holy Spirit, is available to us today. And he makes all the difference. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to John chapter 14. We'll start with verse 15. We're going to read through this and we'll unpack it as we go. Uh, we'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well if you'd like. John chapter 14, starting with verse 15. This is Jesus saying, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you in me are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Okay, let's pause here. So, for John, vertical love is always linked to horizontal love. Our love for God is always linked to our love for one another. Now, of course, John didn't figure this out on his own. He didn't make this up. He got this directly from teaching like this from Jesus. And here, Jesus is saying, if you love me, then you will keep my commands. Well, what is the new command that Jesus had just given them at this very meal? Well, back in chapter 13, we saw that it was to love one another just as Jesus had loved them. And Jesus says the same thing in two different ways here. In verse 15, he says, if you love me, then you will love one another just as I have loved you. And then later in verse 21, if you look back at that, he says, whoever loves one another is the one who loves me. It's the same statement in reverse. Now, if the church is the body of Christ, of which he is the head, then what Jesus is saying is you can't love the head without loving the body and vice versa. It wouldn't make any sense. But between these statements of Jesus on the love that his disciples were to have for one another and the love that they were to have for him and his father, he mentions another. Another who would serve as the power source for all of this love. Jesus says he's another advocate, the spirit of truth. Now, Jesus has much to say about him in chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, particularly in the next few chapters. But here, to start, Jesus says three things about this, this spirit. First, he refers to the spirit as another advocate. Well, who is the first advocate for the disciples? It was Jesus. So Jesus himself had already served as the disciples' advocate. But he is about to depart in death and then later in his ascension back into heaven. Remember, this conversation is taking place on the night before the cross of Christ. This is the Last Supper where Jesus is sharing only the most important things with those who are closest to him. But he's about to depart. However, Jesus promised not to leave his disciples as orphans. Now what a wonderful promise. He would not leave them alone to grope about in the darkness or to wander like a sheep wandering from the flock. He would send them another. In this, it's important for us to see that the work of the Spirit is a continuation of the work of Jesus. Just as we saw last week in the relationship between God the Father and God the Son, so closely linked are the Son and the Spirit that Jesus can say, in the coming of the Holy Spirit, I will come to you. 
Or elsewhere in Matthew's gospel, he says, Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the Spirit is another advocate. Now one final note about this is now that Jesus has ascended back into heaven and is seated in power and glory as the Lord of all, his advocacy for us has not stopped. He didn't tag the Holy Spirit on the way to heaven and let him do all the work now. (laughs) Jesus continues even today to intercede for us from heaven. And this is an incredible thought to me. So between the Son and the Spirit, we have advocates in heaven and on earth. In the throne, throne room of God, Jesus is praying for you. And here, in the temple of our own hearts and lives, the Spirit is with us. Well, second, John uses a compound word translated here as advocate in our Bibles, or in another Bible translation as the helper, or the comforter, or the counselor. Now, there's two Greek words involved here. Para, which means to come alongside, and then kaleo, which means to call or to call out. As we'll see over the next few weeks, the spirit, the paraclete, comes alongside the disciples of Jesus and speaks what is true. Now, the truth can be encouraging, strengthening words, or They can be correcting and convicting words, depending on what we need. If we need help, the Spirit works like a legal counselor. In this case, like a defense attorney, advocating for us, defending us, and reminding us of what we need to remember is true. But if we need correction, then the Spirit works a little bit more like a prosecuting attorney, albeit one who's still on our side, (laughs) providing conviction within our spirit, again, about what is true. He is ever by our side, calling us forward in following Jesus. Now this leads us to the third thing that Jesus says about the spirit here, and that he is the spirit of truth. He will not deceive us. He will not trick us or lead us astray. In a world of darkness, in a world of deceit and manipulation and deep fakes and disinformation, we can rely on him. We can rest in him. We can trust him. The spirit, just like the sun, will be our advocate, coming alongside of us, even living within us, uniting us in a relationship with God helping us to experience the love of God and calling us to see and to believe and to live according to what is true. Now, as incredible as this promise is and all of the implications that this will have for the future for these disciples, the disciples are kind of stuck on the context of this promise that Jesus is about to leave them 
Jesus said, before long, the world will not see me anymore. But then he said that he would show himself to the the disciples. And this was hard for them to understand because, again, before the resurrection, the idea of Jesus dying and leaving them was incomprehensible to these disciples. No one had ever done anything like this before. And, And we see their confusion in their response to him. Now, of course, we are on the other side of the resurrection. When I read the first part of this text, I'm like, what a wonderful promise. But if I would have been sitting in the room that day, I would have probably, like the rest of the disciples, thought, where is all this headed? What is he talking about? Look at verse 22. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, (laughs) okay. How'd you like to be that Judas? (laughs) The whole rest of your life. I'm Judas. I'm not that Judas. Okay, not the betrayer. But he said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Let's pause here one more time. So, okay. Judas, not that Judas. Judas was, okay, why, why are there two Judases in the twelve? That seems unlikely. Well, there are a whole bunch of Marys, too, in this time. And the reason is this. Judas was a common name at this time because it was the Greek version of the Hebrew name Judah, which was one of the 12 ancient tribes of Israel. So, you know, everybody, everybody wanted a Judah in their family. Well, at any rate, this is beside the point. This Judas, also called Judas, son of James, asked Jesus, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us but not the world? And this is a good question. Judas is following what Jesus is saying here. It's just he doesn't understand what he means. The disciples believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the chosen one sent by God into the world to rescue, to liberate his people. How could that be done without being done in view of the world? How could that be? It doesn't make sense that Jesus would do this messianic work remotely or in some hidden way, right? In other words, Judas asked Jesus, how could you be the Messiah and not show yourself to everyone? But I love the answer of Jesus. Did you notice that? He just keeps going. He doesn't even really address the question. Now, does this mean that Jesus doesn't really like Judas as much as the others? (laughs) Not at all. Okay? He actually does answer Judas's question, but in a way that would make him think for probably the rest of his life. Jesus knew that Judas eventually would understand because he knew that Judas would have the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus knew that the Spirit would teach Judas all of these things and remind him of what was true. Would bring back to mind, oh, Jesus did teach us about this. He did say he was going to rise again. We just didn't really believe that that's literally what he would do. Now, this is so helpful for us today, and I don't want us to miss this. 
we may not understand everything that is happening happening around us in our lives. We may not understand what God is doing either, like Judas. But Jesus responds to this confusion by saying, essentially, just do what you know is true. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching and they will experience the love of God and the indwelling and the illuminating presence of the Spirit of God, whether you understand or not. When you understand what is going on in your life, follow Jesus by the power of the Spirit. When you don't understand what's going on in your life, follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit. It's not that complicated. Now, it's not easy, of course. But we're not doing this alone, either. Now, this ought to be a great comfort to us today. A great comfort to the believer. Jesus emphasizes this comforting role of the Spirit and the peace that he offers the disciples, starting in our final section, starting with verse 27. Let's look at that. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come, now let us leave. This is God's word. So it is the Holy Spirit who helps us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We do not have to blindly trust in the Lord with all of the strength or all of the faith that we manage to drum up because we have the Spirit. He will help us. He will not leave us or forsake us. And to see this and to experience this brings us peace, the very peace of God given by the Prince of Peace. And he does not give us peace the way the world gives. The world constantly promises peace, but never delivers. In contrast, Jesus gives the Spirit without limit, and his peace passes all understanding. So when our hearts are troubled, we do not have to stay there. We do not have to sit in fear. When the unexpected comes, when we do not know what is going on? In the middle of the storm, in the middle of your worst day ever in first grade, the Spirit will be with us and will remind us of what is true. And we can abide, we can rest in the peace of God. Now, parents, this is such an important thing to teach your kids. God not only loves you and cares for you, but he is really with you 
when you are scared or lonely or upset. But here, the adult disciples of Jesus needed this as well. For the remaining 11 disciples that Jesus was speaking to, he said that he had told them about these things ahead of time so that when it all happens, they would still trust him. They would still believe in him and be comforted. Well, when what all happens? Jesus refers to the prince of this world, the devil, coming with Judas's, the other Judas, with his betrayal. And all the terrible events, all the injustice, all the pain and the shame associated with the cross, where Jesus would die for the sins of the world. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to lose faith through this time. But he goes beyond simply preparing them for the shock of the cross by saying that his departure is actually for their good. All of this trouble and disruption is actually a good thing. Why? Well, you don't need to be troubled. You don't need to be afraid when I speak about my departure. If you understood what would happen, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, over the years, many have wrestled with the, what did Jesus mean by this last phrase, for the Father is greater than I? Now, some have taken it against the mountain of evidence we've already seen in John's Gospel that Jesus meant by this that he wasn't co-equal or co-eternal with the Father. Now, this is what the ancient heresy of Arianism taught, and this is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe today, that Jesus is the Son of God, but he is not equal to the Father. But the seven signs and the seven I am statements alone in John's Gospel, not to mention clear teaching like Jesus saying, I and the Father are one, things like that, hard to understand, right? Well, that's really a clear statement. These things all testify that Jesus is the Son who is God. John starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning was Jesus, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, last week, we considered the unique unity that the Father and the Son enjoy together, and that no one is like Jesus. The answer of Orthodox Christianity for the last 2,000 years based on the full witness of the scriptures, is that the Father is not greater than the Son because they are different in nature or in power or in glory, but because when Jesus said this, the Father was in the fullness of glory in heaven while the Son was still in the world. So during the incarnation, the Father sent the Son, the, sent, the Son went. The Father commanded and the Son obeyed. The Son died in humility while the Father exalted him in glory. Now, to what degree this hierarchy between the Father and Son existed before the Incarnation is hotly debated among theological circles. But Jesus says here that if the disciples truly loved him, they would be thrilled that he was going back to his Father. Not troubled at all. They would have peace about it. So the final sentence of our text has proved difficult for many people to interpret. Everybody take a big deep breath. 
There's a couple thorny things in this text, okay? You can't just skip over these things. The final text of our sentence, or the final sentence of our text, excuse me, um, says, Jesus says, come now, let us leave. And for the astute observers of the scriptures, you'll notice that there's like three more chapters that happen before it's obvious that they've gone anywhere. (laughs) What's up with that? Okay, great question. There, nobody really knows. <laughs> I'll tell you the news. Some people think that maybe Jesus said this, and then they, they were done with the meal, and they all stood up and started, kept talking for several more chapters. That's, you all have done that, you know? <laughs> the dinner's done, and everybody keeps milling about for her long after the party was supposed to end. Okay, that's a possibility. Another possibility is that Jesus signals the dinner is done. They all get up, and they start to go walk back to where they're staying that night, the Mount of Olives. And they're talking along the way. The reference to Jesus being the vine perhaps was an object lesson with the vines carved in the side of the temple. We don't really know. There's, no, there's nothing in the text to settle this debate. These are things that people speculate about. At any rate, they're about to leave. <laughs> Jesus has a couple more things to say, too. Well, at any rate, today, um, normally, I would turn from what the text says to how could we apply this to our lives today. But today, we've had application throughout the whole thing. Application for us. Application for our kids. Application for dealing with difficult circumstances, emotions, and difficulties, troubles around us. Because what Jesus promised to his disciples is true for us today. After his death and resurrection and his ascension back into heaven, Jesus did send the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And so today, we live in a different age than the age of the disciples on this day. We live in the age of the Spirit. This age was prophesied in the Old Testament and was accomplished by God in the fullness of time. So in the same way, we today have an advocate too. In fact, as we've seen here, we have two advocates. We have a true helper, a true comforter, a true counselor who is God himself. We have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, who comes alongside us and calls us forward in the way of following Jesus. No matter whether we're having a good day or the worst day ever, We have not been left as orphans. We have the very personal power and presence of God in our hearts, in our lives, and in our minds. And he makes all the difference. There is so much more to say about this, but Jesus isn't done. But just imagine if we, as a church, believed this to be true. What could shake us? What in all the world, even the work of the devil himself, could steal the peace that Jesus offers? We have the spirit of the living God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask 
that you would fill us and keep filling us. We ask that you would pour out your love into our hearts. We ask that you would give us a sense of your presence in our life, even right now. That you are among us, that you come alongside us, that you give us the reminders of what is true, that you lead us, that you speak to us, that you empower us with various gifts, that you illuminate the path forward in what it looks like to follow Jesus, that you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, is living within us and empowering us. Holy Spirit, help us to see all that you give us. And Lord Jesus, thank you that by your spirit you have not left us alone, but you are with us even to the very end of the age. I pray that we would grow little by little more in our awareness and our understanding of your spirit in our lives today. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. And we pray all this in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.